0: Well, good morning. My name is Jacob Rodriguez. I'm one of the pastors here at Church of the Resurrection. A special welcome to you if this is your first time with us, or if you're visiting today. We'd love to have you here with us, and we are going to explore with you and all of our family here at Church of the Resurrection through some of the stories of Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, who lived on this very earth, walked on Galilean and Judean soil, and showed us what new life really looks like because he is, he was, and always will be God with us. We're calling this sermon series God Incarnate, unpacking what it means that God came to dwell in us, to be Emmanuel with us. Last week we saw how Jesus embodied God's presence with us in exile in our journey to the home he has prepared for us in his kingdom. And this week we'll see how Jesus Is God with us in our sicknesses, our diseases, our mortality? And we'll look at the healing ministry of Jesus specifically in Matthew chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there, Matthew chapter 8. And let's begin with the word of prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we seek your face. You are the God who has come to dwell with us. Open our eyes now to behold your glory as the servant king whose word can touch and bring the dead to life. Speak to us through your word, by the power of your spirit, in your name we ask. Amen. Now have you ever been in a situation where you suddenly realize that you're not alone? Now this sudden realization could perhaps uh, bring about feelings of embarrassment or maybe feelings of comfort. Let's look at the first one. A feeling of embarrassment. Have you ever been alone or thought that you were alone in your house and you were washing your dishes and you were pretending that the scrubbing brush was a microphone? Maybe you started singing on the top of your your lungs in falsettos and Taylor Swift? And then you hear a knock on the door and realize that someone has been outside your door within earshot for the past five minutes when you open the door about the only thing you can say is, yes, it's me, I'm the problem. Yeah, it's me. Just so you know, that's not from personal experience. I sing falsetto that out to um, uh, Stevie Wonder. <laughs> now, you know, when you realize that someone was actually there, the, the, that realization that you're not alone might bring about some embarrassment because you realize this person might know you a little bit better than you wanted them to. On the other hand, there are often circumstances when we feel like we're all alone, but the realization that someone is with us brings that comfort that our hearts have been desperately longing for, hungering for. Imagine this. Imagine you are feeling depressed, and it perhaps feels like weeks since someone has noticed you, and you're all alone in your house. And then you hear that knock on the door, And you open the door and it's a familiar face and it's someone who has personally delivered to you that Christmas card. They say your name, look you in the eyes, and they give you that hug. And those words and embrace show you that you are not alone. Now, what would it feel like Not only if we were surprised by the presence of a loving face, a friend or a family member, but if we were surprised by the presence of God himself come to us. Perhaps we would have that fear, that that, that shame. Lord, if you truly know me, if you knew all that I am on the inside, I feel so filthy. How could you love me? And yet, at that very moment, Scripture is showing us today that we are embraced by the love of God in Jesus Christ. In our passage today, we will see God in the flesh, Jesus of Nazareth, encountering, surprising his own creation, touching it, and speaking to it. We will learn quite quickly that we are not left alone in our brokenness but we are visited by God, the great healer. You see, when the Lord touches and speaks to his creation, the sick, the dying, the demon-possessed are healed, restored, and set free. In Matthew chapter eight, we see this played out in the narrative going from uh, verse one to verse 17. We'll encounter this Jewish man with leprosy, this terrible skin disease, We'll see the Roman centurion with the paralyzed servant. We'll see Peter's mother-in-law afflicted with this severe fever. And then we'll see a whole crowd of people with many diseases and impairments, as well as those possessed by demons, coming to Jesus. And with just a word, Jesus heals them. This shows us, first of all, that Jesus is the Lord. Let's look at the very beginning of our chapter here. Actually, a couple of verses right before end of chapter seven, when Jesus had finished saying these, these, these things, uh, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. They were surprised at this authority that Jesus had that was unparalleled. And then the very next verse, Jesus comes down from the mountain. And starts doing these amazing miracles. Matthew, this great storyteller, the author of the gospel that we're reading today, is portraying Jesus, not only as a second Moses, he's greater than Moses, not only as a second Joshua who comes conquering into the land, he is portraying Jesus as the Lord himself. Visiting his creation. Look at what the people call Jesus. First the leper in uh, 8 verse 2, and then the centurion in 8 verse 6. Look at 8 verse 2. The man with leprosy says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Or oh, then look at the centurion in verse 6. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. And then again in verse 8, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now this might just be a formal term like, sir, could you please help me? But the way it comes again and again, throughout the whole narrative of Matthew, the fact that Matthew has begun his gospel in chapter one, verse 23, that Jesus' name will be Emmanuel, God with us, I think there's so much more packed in this word, Lord, I think it's Matthew showing us that we're actually seeing the creator of heaven and earth visiting humanity in the flesh. And what does the Lord do when he encounters humanity trapped in sickness and disease? He does two things. He touches us and he speaks to us. His touch and his word brings new life. New creation, kind of overflowing out of Jesus into a broken and dying world. Look at verse 3. When the man with leprosy comes and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make, it, you can make me clean. Jesus stretches out his hand in verse 3 and touches him. Now this is amazing because uh, this kind of skin disease in that time was very contagious, so contagious that the Jewish purity laws had uh, been set up in a way to protect the community and demonstrate the utter purity and holiness of God. And so the contagion of this leprous condition was shunned. And if Jesus would have touched that leprosy, instantly he would have been unclean. And he himself would have been in danger of contracting that same disease. But with Jesus' touch, the unclean doesn't make him unclean. His cleanness, his holiness overflows to purify all that he touches. Amazing if we could have that with our rooms today. I'm thinking of telling children to clean their rooms. Amazing if they could just touch it in beans, sparkling clean. Now with Jesus, the Lord visiting earth, his touch purifies to the very center of someone's being. He is making the leper clean. Let's skip a little bit to uh, one of the last stories in our passage today. Uh, Peter's uh, mother-in-law suffering with a fever. Uh, Some scholars think that it's malaria. I've had the opportunity to have malaria in my life, and it's not fun at all. I didn't have uh, calciparum, so my life wasn't in danger unless there was dehydration. Thankfully, I had access to hospital care, and I was fine after a couple weeks. But in this situation, that kind of care was not available to Peter's mother-in-law, her life was in danger. And just with the touch of Jesus' hand, the fever leaves her. And immediately she rises up and she serves the Lord. She serves Jesus right then and there. You see, Jesus' touch not only heals his sick, It also empowers them towards God-honoring service, giving dignity to the person who has just been healed, and empowering and enabling her to serve the Lord. But it's not just the touch of the Lord that brings healing, it's also the word of the Lord. The centurion knew this, back again in verse eight, only say the word and my servant would be healed this centurion, this this Gentile who was technically speaking not within the, the the people of God, who could be excluded from the assembly of worship of the true people of God at that day. He knew that he was not worthy to have the Lord, the God of Israel, come under. He probably, even if he didn't know that this was the God of Israel walking in his midst, he knew that this representative, perhaps this prophet or great teacher who has come from Israel, he was not worthy to have that person under his roof. He knew that his word had power. And Jesus speaks the word, and the paralyzed servant is healed. Now I just had this thingy once. All right. Now, Jesus' word, healing with power, reminds us of the word of the creator. Remember at the beginning of all of the scriptures, Genesis chapter one, how does the Lord create in the very first place? He creates not by taking stuff that's already there and kind of reshaping it. He, He speaks reality into existence. He speaks, and so it is. And then when that creation is is uh, brought out of order because of sin and death. That same word speaks creation back into perfection, back into wholeness, into healing. Matthew reminds us again, we're kinda of hopping back and forth, but track with me here. Look all the way at the end in verse 16. Again, uh, this is after Jesus has done three miracles, and then people are catching words, so they're bringing all kinds of people with diseases and illnesses to Jesus and to his presence. How does he heal them there? He, with a word, cast out the evil spirits, and he healed those who were afflicted with that same powerful word by which the world was created, that same word brings life and healing. Now our bodies bear the marks of the death that came as a result of that original sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. The sicknesses, the diseases, all of the bodily afflictions that we have and that we see in the Gospels, these are signs that creation in its present form is not, as it should be, but when the Creator, the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who has come to bring rest, when he himself shows up, the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, those with leprosy are cleansed, the paralyzed walk, those with fevers are, are relieved, those with uncontrolled bleeding and seizures are healed. Even those with severed body parts, like the man who lost his ear because of Peter's sword, even those are healed. And the dead are raised just by the word of Jesus' mouth and the touch of his hand. Now, in our passage, we're we're just shown in this amazingly, uh, beautifully depicted way, how Jesus is bringing about healing by his word and his touch wherever he goes, but in the very last verse of our passage, in verse 17, Matthew gives us a little clue into how Jesus is bringing about this healing of the sick. Matthew, in verse 17, when he quotes from uh, the prophet Isaiah, he is connecting Jesus' healing ministry to the Old Testament, to the scriptures that came before him, before he was born incarnate by the Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit. And Matthew shows us that it's not just the prophets, it's the law and the prophets that Jesus is fulfilling. Remember this passage, chapter 8, comes after the Sermon on the Mount, that great teaching that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And to kind of kick off that sermon, one of the things Jesus says is, do not think that I have come to abolish The law and the prophets. You know, everything from Genesis to Malachi. Don't think that I've come to undo any of that or to abolish it. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Here in our chapter, Matthew chapter 8, we see Jesus fulfilling both the law and the prophets. What does he tell the man with leprosy to do after he is cleansed? Go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And then in verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. See, there's there's a popular misconception of the Old Testament as a record of God accommodating to ancient Israel's flawed understanding of who he is. Now there is a degree of accommodation, but to say that scripture itself is the flawed understanding of God in the Old Testament is to make a serious mistake. You see, the sacrificial system and the purity laws in Leviticus, they're not just God patiently allowing this ancient religious society to wander its way to Jesus, who would then all of a sudden undo all of that bad Old Testament religion. This is not what Jesus thought about the law and the prophets. On the contrary, Jesus saw in that Old Testament the very blueprints of the salvation that he would accomplish in his own body. For those who are in the building leadership team, you've seen the blueprints, the the architectural design of what our building is going to be, what the annex up to the third floor is going to be. Right now it's by faith. The Lord willing to it will be by sight. But that schematic shows us the fellowship, the celebration, the community that we'll be able to have in this building. That's what it was like in the Old Testament, these patterns and shadows pointing to what Jesus would accomplish. Now what these patterns are showing us, you don't have to turn there, but it's Leviticus chapter 14, and then Isaiah chapter 53. In your own time, you can look up Leviticus 14, Isaiah 53, put them together. This is an amazing gospel recipe. Leviticus chapter 14 is this long passage Uh, the Old Testament law um, given through Moses, telling the people of Israel what to do if there is a person with leprosy and they have been cleansed, how do they get reinstated into the fellowship because they were supposed to be outside of the camp, not touching anyone, ringing a bell, saying, unclean, unclean. The way that they get restored to the community is they have a period of seven days of waiting, and then on the eighth day, they go to the priest, and they bring a lamb that will be sacrificed as an atonement. And when that lamb is slaughtered, the blood is sprinkled on them as a sign of their cleansing, as a sign that their sin and all of their sickness, it has been atoned for. They have been brought back to God and reinstated as part of of God's people. Then in Isaiah chapter 53, we get a clue of what that sacrificial lamb was pointing to. Pointing to this mysterious character called the servant of the Lord, the servant who would be the Lord's chosen sacrificial lamb upon whom all of the sins and wrongdoings of God's people would be put. And when that lamb was sacrificed, all of that stuff from God's people, sin, would be taken away, and they would be made clean. And not only that, but all of the effects of that sin, death, sickness. In verse 4, he took up our sicknesses upon himself. The servant would absorb it all in himself. When we put Leviticus 14, Isaiah 53 together, we see the Lord providing that eight-day restoration to those who are unclean or diseased by taking it upon his own body, the full effects of our sin and sick condition, absorbing it on our behalf, healing us, and setting us free. Now, I try to think of a way to describe this uh, to myself and to those who um, might need a, a little bit of a, a pictorial illustration of how what this might look like. And this is very real. It happened in the past four days. I thought I would never be a cat person, okay? Um, I never liked the things. They always annoyed me. But then Olive the cat showed up on our front door. And when my kids gave this feline furball a name, Olive, it was a person. <laughs> it's no longer just an animal, it was this person that come to our, our front door, and I couldn't find it any longer, I fell in love with this cat. So we found ourselves as cat owners, with Olive as part of our family, through what I would soon discover would be thick and thin. Thick and thin, coming out both ways. <laughs> My love for the cat was tested when our cat got sick and barfed on the floor. I had to take a sponge and clean it up. And that sponge, with its miracle liquid scrubbing, whatever it is, absorbed all that gross stuff. And when I finished cleaning the carpet, it was sparkling clean, and the sponge was soaked with cat sickness. I took the sponge, threw it out in the bag, threw the, 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 took the trash out into the bin, and thankfully, the spainful trash uh, takers, they took it out and our floor was clean. I love that cat, Olive, by clearing up her sickness with the sponge. That's kind of a pedantic example, but amplify that by a million, by infinite. Jesus loved us, not by absorbing our sickness and our sin with something else, but with his own body. Indeed, absorbing our own mortality, into his own body as he was suffering on the cross. But you may well ask, what about all the times we pray for healing and nothing seems to happen? Having been in uh, ministry, uh, full-time ministry for the past 12 years, uh, I've had the opportunity to pray with those who have cancer. Some have been healed, Others have not. I've prayed with friends with COVID, and I've had a dear friend in Ethiopia die of COVID, and I was not able to go to this dear sister in the Lord's funeral. I've prayed for those with chronic pain, some who have recovered, others who have not. And what do we do, what do we make of this healing ministry of Jesus when we see so many uncured illnesses all around us? Now by faith, we believe that Jesus actually walked the dusty streets of Galilee and Judea and he actually healed people. And friends, the question is not if Jesus will heal us, but when he will heal us. If we truly believe that Jesus did take our sicknesses all the way to the cross and to the grave, and that he rose again completely healed, never to die again, then we have a hope that one day we will be healed. All shall be well. And even though our bodies are steadily decaying and each day moving closer and closer to the grave, Jesus has promised one day to raise us up, transform our bodies into the glory of his own resurrected body, a glory that is far more than our minds can even comprehend today. He has healed us of our sin sickness that to which the leper's condition pointed. He has healed us of that sickness. He has brought us back to God and restored our relationship with God and given us what it takes to be restored one to another. And he will heal our bodies when he comes again. There's an already aspect of this great healing and there's a not yet aspect Of that healing. And even now, in the already, we are those who have come from the east and the west, and we are now right here taking our seat at the table of the Lord, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the company of heaven, the angels and the archangels seated at the table of the Lord. By faith, now, but one day we know it will be by sight. Now, as a very important implication of this, this already not yet reality of our being healed and feasting at the table of the Lord, this gives us a call for the full participation of all of those who have sicknesses and diseases in our church. The full participation in the church. Not only sicknesses and diseases, but we might also add those who live with disabilities. Jesus gives us every reason in fact, through his testimony here in the restoring of a relationship, he gives us the urgent imperative that access should be given to all who are in Christ, whatever their bodily conditions may be. One of the most profound experiences I have had as a minister is to take the Lord's Supper to a hospital room where the person cannot even receive it with their hands or with their mouth but me receiving it with and praying and laying hands on and anointing with oil, that person is participating in the same communion of saints as I am. And that person is blessing me as much as I am blessing him or her. That's something for us to keep in mind as we have people of all different kinds of contexts and bodily conditions. May we all be included at this table if we are in Christ. So it's a... Conclude all of this, what would, what indeed would happen if we realized that we're not alone, but God, the healer, is with us? May we cry out like the leopard, Lord, if you will, make me clean. May we pray with the humility of the centurion, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. And let us hear the word of the Lord and feel the healing touch of his hand. And with St. Augustine, let us pray that even though our bodies everywhere bear our own mortality and the testimony of our own sin and the testimony that God resists the proud, we are part of God's good creation and we feel in our bones that restlessness, longing for that for which we were created to give praise to God in perfect fellowship with Him and with His people. And while we ache, and suffer through the sicknesses and diseases that afflict us today, let us praise our God who has repaired our relationship with himself and taken our sin upon himself. And let us put our hope in that same Lord who has taken up our mortality with all of its debilitating effects upon himself, giving us the sure promise that, friends, one day all shall be well. All manner of things shall be well. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.